Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. is always quick, powerful. Your word always comes with grace to accomplish what your intent. Lord, I submit myself to you today that you speak through me. Make my tongue like that of a ready writer. Let your people hear and receive. In Jesus' name we pray. This is our third our message in the series uh, Kingdom Prosperity. The Kingdom Prosperity. First Sunday, we talked about the principle of the source. That if you really want to really enjoy God's prosperity, uh, you must understand that you must understand what is your source. You must define that, and that must be clear to you. We must be able to distinguish our source and between our source and the means. And once in a while, God will test that in our life. And last week, which was the second one, we talked about the purpose of prosperity. And we said, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, abusing is inevitable. If you're going to enjoy God's prosperity, you must understand why God actually prospers people. And prosperity comes when we align ourselves with God's purpose. And we took example of uh, Anna, who was barren, and somehow by the help of the Holy Spirit, aligned herself and prayed a prayer of alignment, a prayer that touched the heart of God, and said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And that was her stumbling into God's heart and God's purpose and triggered heaven's supply. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will help someone here to pray a prayer that touches the heart of God in Jesus' name. Today we're going to talk about giving because giving is essential to kingdom prosperity. So I'm going to talk today about the kingdom principle of giving. The kingdom principle of giving. But I'm going to lay a very quick foundation before I go forward because I'm only going to talk from a few passages, about nine verses that we read today. I'm going to go, go through them and just give us a principles from God's words about kingdom giving. <clears throat> but before I go there, I want to uh, lay some foundation that I think will help quite a number of people. As a believer, it is very, very important, as a New Testament kingdom believer, it is very, very important for you to know the difference between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. We all know, many of us use that word, I mean, that was in the Old, Old Testament, this is in the New Testament, uh, and we know that we're under the New Testament. How many of us know that, right? We're no longer under the law. 
But as you study the scripture, it is important to try to understand for yourself what changed between the Old Testament and New Testament. A lot of believers really don't know clearly. All right? There are a lot of a number of things that stopped, that ended with the old covenant. And there are a number of things that survived the old covenant, that is, they passed through. There are a number of things that change, all right? So as we transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, there are things that clearly stop. Sacrificial offerings stop, right? Completely stop. So if anyone tries to get you into sacrificial things, you know that that ended, all right? If anyone tells you, I mean, God is only somewhere, Jesus clearly said that that time has come where God is neither here or there, right? Those who worship him, worship him now in spirit and truth. Those are things that stop. There are things that change, however. They didn't stop, but they changed, all right? They changed. They were altered. An example is righteousness. You see, God's demand for righteousness didn't stop. All right? The Lord knows who are is. Let those who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So God's requirement for righteousness did not stop because we are now in the New Testament or New Covenant. You see, the standard of righteousness is the same. In fact, you can argue in a lot of ways, it's higher. All right? But it changed in the sense that the purpose of its change, the means of its change. For example, in the Old Testament, righteousness is achieved by works, right? You work for righteousness. Work means personal effort. Your righteousness is as a result of your personal effort, all right? And your righteousness is how you gain favor with God under the Old Covenant, all right? Under the new covenant, that changed. All right? Righteousness is no longer by your effort. Righteousness becomes a gift from God. All right? Righteousness becomes what God gives you by faith. So by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you become righteous. Now, righteousness, righteous living now becomes a fruit of who you are. Right? So under the old covenant, doing is the key word. I want you to say doing. It's what you do. Under the new covenant, being is the key word. I want you to say being. So under the old covenant is to do, to do, to do, to do. You must do, you must do, you must do. Under the new covenant, you be before you do. Hallelujah. So giving is... Another example, if I giving is a lot like righteousness, it didn't stop. God's requirement for giving did not stop, all right? The purpose of it stopped, all right? Under the old covenant, giving was a means of pleasing God. Giving was to get something from God. That's the primary purpose of giving. Giving was... To earn something from God. All right? That's the primary purpose of giving. Now, under the New Testament, 
giving becomes a response because God already gave. Right? God gave us the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ. So a New Testament believer does not give primarily to earn something from God, to earn favor, to be loved by God. We give because we are loved by God. Hallelujah. Did you get that now? We give because we already received. We are not trying to give to receive. We give because we receive. I'm going to have us read a verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Hopefully that also helps you. Matthew 5, 20 is on the screen. Can we all read it together? For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter. Did you see that? That the standard of righteousness expected from us under the New Testament is higher, right? Because our righteousness now must surpass what? That of the Pharisees. In fact, if you read Matthew chapter 5 very well, and I think it's always good to go to that, that's where you have the beatitude, right? Jesus clearly demonstrated that. He said, you have heard, now I said, right? You have heard, thou shalt not commit murder. But he said, now I'm raising the standard. If anyone hates his brother, he's a murderer. So what is called a murderer in the Old Testament is different from what is called murdering in the New Testament. That's scary if you really read that verse, I mean that passage. It talks about adultery. You have heard, thou shalt not commit adultery. But now I'm saying under this new rule in the kingdom, anyone that looks at a woman lost fully, right? That was not the rule under the old covenant. You really have to physically do it to commit adultery. He said, you have heard under the old covenant, you just have to give your wife a certificate of divorce and you are free. And he said in the new covenant, If you divorce your wife, except for sexual immorality, you are making her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a woman, like uh, who who goes ahead and do that, also commit adultery. Under the old covenant, oath is acceptable. You can swear. You can oath is what is taken. He said, "No, don't don't swear. (laughs) Neither by God, by heaven, let your yea be yea, let your nay be nay." In the old covenant, revenge is acceptable. Jesus said that. If you go to verse 38, he said, an eye for an eye, right? Tooth for a tooth. And he said, under the new rule, it's no longer like that. In fact, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles for them. Leave revenge to God. All right? Praise the name of Jesus. Under the old covenant, love your friends, hate your enemies. Acceptable. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. If you go to verse 43, clear. Under the old covenant, you've heard that. But he's saying now, love even your enemy. Do you see that the standard is higher? Is that clear now? So our standard is higher. On everything, including giving. 
Praise the name of Jesus. Now, I want to take us to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because we don't have a lot of time. What is the standard of giving? What are the principles of giving under the new covenant? So let's go, let's go there. The second principle I'm going to bring out is the kingdom giving is a result of the grace of God. Let me read the passage again briefly. I think that will really uh, help us. Let's go through that passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. This was written about a church called the Macedonian Church. All right? And Apostle Paul, who is writing this, really wants us to learn a lesson from them. They are a model church when it comes to the issue of giving. And there are a number of points, there are seven of them that I came up with that we should model as New Testament believers. Number one, uh, before I like, let's read it now. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian church, churches, rather. In the midst of every, a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much, as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a, begin, a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The last verse, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Hallelujah. The first thing you learn there is that kingdom giving is a result of the grace of God. I want you to say the grace of God. Notice he started by saying, you know, we want you to know rather about the grace God has given the Macedonian church. See, giving is a product of grace. And grace, there is common grace, there is saving grace. In theology, I say common grace is the grace that is common to all, all creation. That's why anywhere you see generosity, it is as a result of the grace of God made available. Whether the people are saved or not, that's why the law of giving 
the law of receiving, it is universal. Right? Sowing and reaping is, is practiced universally. There is almost no culture where the value of generosity is not esteemed. Praise the name of Jesus. So kingdom giving is a result of the grace of God. When we come to the kingdom, it's higher because now we have, in addition to common grace, we have redemptive grace. We have the saving grace of God. We have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in addition to that. So he said, I want you to know that the grace of God has been given to the Macedonian church because giving is as a result of the grace of God. What is grace? The word translated grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word called charis. And charis simply means favor, blessing, kindness. And that's why we say grace is unmerited favor, unmerited blessing. It's a grace, that's the grace of God. It's unmerited, that is demonstrated through our Lord Jesus Christ. So giving is as a result of the grace of God. The second point that I want to share is in verse 2. Generosity, which is giving, giving generously, has nothing to do with our financial condition. Let's read verse 2 together. Can you put it on the screen so we can read it? Can we read it together? One, two, go. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in rich generosity. Isn't that amazing? That this church was going through a severe trial, not just trial. They, are going, they were going through a tough time. It wasn't the best time for them as individuals. Probably economically things were rough. But, and they were going through a trying time in terms of provision. They were poor. There was extreme poverty in their life. What the apostle said, the weird thing was the extreme poverty developed into a rich generosity. Isn't that amazing? The worse things get, the more generous they became. Isn't that amazing? And they were highlighted. That's a pattern. In fact, you will discover that kingdom giving is never a function of how much is given. Hallelujah. It's not a question. In fact, if you go to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, the Bible said Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasure. Jesus did something that was, I can, I can just imagine how people felt, right? So it was time for offering, then Jesus just stood there. And unfortunately, they didn't have envelope. <laughs> right now, we give you envelope to cover it up, so everybody looks good, right? Everybody's, uh, you can even throw in empty envelopes. I think finance ministry, they do see empty envelopes. <laughs> People just put envelope there, right? Cover your... Well, God sees. Please don't put empty envelope. <laughs> you make their job difficult, right? Don't put empty envelope because God sees it. 
You know something? Anytime we are giving, Jesus is standing watching. All right? He's there standing. He knows. So he knows your heart. Don't worry. Don't bother to impress him by putting an empty envelope. All right? So Jesus stood there, and the crowd were putting their money into the treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I'm sure it's because Jesus was there. So they saw Jesus, and they started putting large amounts. And I'm sure it was noticeable in those days because they were in bundles. You know, they were in, in sacks, right? And some people would just throw it, and the thing would make noise. And they were throwing in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worthy only a few cents. Not only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. It was a widow means he, was, he didn't have a husband. And in those days, women did not have a lot of buying power. Not like today. All right? So he was poor. He was a widow. She was poor. She was a widow. And Jesus said, she has put him more into the treasury. And I'm sure the disciples were like, what did you just say? More? More from where? Just a few cents. And Jesus said, let me clarify. They all gave out of their wealth. Right? They all gave out of their wealth. The word out of means Jesus is weighing what they gave with what was left. Right? What was, you know, what they gave compared to what they had left. Jesus knew their bank account. And Jesus knew their paycheck. Right? So he knew that as large as it was, it wasn't really significant. There was no significant sacrifice there, if nothing at all. They could part with those money without really thinking about it. Jesus knew that. But she, out of her poverty, I want you to notice that again. Doesn't that look like the Macedonian church? Out of their poverty, she put in everything. All she had to live on. She gave 100%. What she had. I mean, she just gave in everything. Can you just imagine? She just went there and said, you know what? This is all I have. It's two cents. I gave it. Many times when we use the word widow's might, we use it wrongly. We are talking about the amount. We are not talking about the ratio. Widow's might is not about the amount. Most times, we just throw in, oh, this is my widow's might. You give $5. But it's not a widow's might. Because you still have $500. <laughs> All right? That, that's not widow's mind. If you have $7 or $10 and you get $5, that becomes significant, right? That's all you have left and you get $5. That becomes huge in the sight of God. Is somebody learning something today? If you have $5,000 left and you get $5 or $100, that becomes insignificant. There's nothing significant about that. So it's important to know that generosity has nothing to do with financial condition. Poor people can be very generous. In fact, I think it's been said that a lot of time, poorer people are more generous 
I've watched videos of even how homeless people can be very generous. Watch a video where a homeless person, they will share what is given among each other. You know that homeless people, they share more than those of us. The little they get, they will share it. They will give each other. They are poor, but they are more generous in a lot of ways. I pray we will learn that lesson in Jesus' name. Number three, the essence of kingdom giving is sacrifice. Let's look at verse three. Can we read verse three together? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They gave as much as they were able, but also they gave even beyond their ability. They went beyond their ability. There was sacrifice involved. David said, I will not give the Lord what will cost me nothing. You know in the New Testament, 10% becomes our minimum. It's not, it's not, it's the standard. It becomes our minimum. Because our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, right? That's the requirement of the Pharisees under the altar. That becomes a baseline that we walk off from. A New Testament believer doesn't say, oh, I have given my tithe. No. Says, I wonder why I have to give so little to God after all he has done for me. If you are somebody that is struggling with that, it's because something you still don't understand the perspective. You are still living like an Old Testament person. All right? We're going to talk about that, you know, uh, maybe next week a little more clearly. Number four, kingdom giving is free will. It's, free, it's a free will give offering. All right? Can we read, uh, I think, verse 3 and 4? Let's read it together. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgent, okay, let's just stop that. Entirely on their own, right? That means it's entirely on their own. They were not coerced, they were not forced. Right? It's free will. Giving under the new covenant is free will. It is not a due, right? I want you to understand that. Your giving is not a due. It is not a tax. I don't like when people compare giving to tax. It misses the point. It's not tax. Tax is by force, right? <laughs> you have no choice. All right? It is free will. In fact, that's what makes it acceptable to God. I believe that's what makes God enjoy it. If it's forced, what's the point? If we all go around and say, have you paid your, have you, have you paid your tithe? I was one at a seminar. I remember one who was there with me. A pastor was talking about tithing, and he said, oh, after service, he goes, he goes and looks at the record. And they start calling their workers. Ah, all right, what happened today? I look at the record. 
And I was, oh yeah, no, 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 I, I forgot to, I forgot to, I, I forgot my check at home. I didn't see your tights. <laughs> and I remember we left that one and said, Pastor, I hope you don't do that. <laughs> In case a pastor is hearing me, don't do that, please. That's, that's no longer giving. That's no longer that's no longer scriptural. That's a tax. That's a due. All right? Just depend on the word of God. Preach the word and allow people to make the choices, right? And which is what we do here. So I don't check your record. I, don't, I preach and I trust that you will understand it and obey it. All right? Now, the only time when that becomes important to me is when people have been appointed to leaders, ministers trustees. Of course, we want to make sure we don't put hypocrites in the leadership of the church, right? You want to make sure your ministers believe in what we preach. That's when we you worry about something like that. And thankfully, we've been 12 years now. We've never had to say somebody is not qualified because they don't. Because 100% of the time before, by the time they are, we're choosing them, they're always, they are bought into the vision and they are givers, they are tithers. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. I want us to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Let's all read it together. One, two, go. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Must be cheerful. I believe strongly that as a New Testament believer, Tithing must be your basis because that's, and it must be something that minimum that you walk off from. And if, if, for example, here you're struggling with that, start from somewhere. Make a decision. Is it 5% you want to start from? You know, walk yourself up gradually. But you must decide in your heart what you're going to give. Don't make your giving a facade. Some people wait until something special. Some, somebody is doing something gymnastic. I want you to bring $1,000 and I'm going to anoint you with oil. And people rush. You see, people who are consistent in their giving, they don't get moved by that. I mean, because I mean, you're generous. You live your life. So it doesn't matter what the man is doing. First of all, you're not even giving for that purpose, all right? Some people wait for that. Some people wait until they are forced, they are coerced. No, decide. Don't do it reluctantly because I think he paints God badly. He makes God a taskmaster. I want you to turn to your neighbor. God is not a taskmaster. So don't give and go home and you are whining. I mean, God, God, that paints God by. His commandments are not grievous. They are not to grieve us. Let's do it cheerfully. Let's be like the most Macedonian church, right? In fact, they saw it as a privilege. Which brings me to number f- uh, point number five. Kingdom giving is what? Is a privilege. Let's read verse 4. Can we read it together? They 
urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service with the Lord's people. It's a privilege. All right? You are not donating to God. You donate to charity. All right? Don't use the word, I'm donating. Don't use the word, I am helping my church. All right? Don't, don't say those words. Years ago, this, is, this, is, this happened years ago. One, one guy, you know, in, in the church, after the service, somebody came to me and said, Pastor, you are going to love what I put in the offering today. He's <laughs> 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 not here, so, you know, this, is, this happened like many, maybe 10 years ago. And I just smile. I'm like, I don't, I don't check. I'm not, I don't care, and I'm not going to check. In his mind, he thinks he's trying to help. He's trying to make me feel good. See, you're not helping God when you give. So stop saying I'm donating to God. God does not need your donation. He's not a beggar. God is not homeless. All right? If you don't do it, he's going to raise people that would do it. He is. The work of God must continue. It has continued for thousands of years. It has. It has continued for thousands of years. And God is amazing in the way he does it. It's amazing. Amazing. I mean, I just, so I want to encourage it. See giving as a privilege. It's a privilege to partner with God. It's a privilege that he asked me, right, to partner with him. Yeah, it's a privilege. So let's see it. These people were what? They were pleading for the privilege. They said, Lord, it's a, it's an honor for us to share in us. It's a privilege for us to share. So when you come here, you know, we're saying tithe and offering. Don't think... You are helping God. You are donating to God. No, 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 no. It is a privilege for you to share in this. Praise the name of Jesus. Number six point that I saw here, as we walk through it, is found in number is found in verse five. Can we read verse five together? Let's go. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. In kingdom giving, the heart is more important than the gift. And, you know, our finance ministry, they are awesome people. Very, very people of integrity. Every once in a while, they will come to me as a pastor. There's some offering in the basket today that is a little beyond normal. I think... You need to check with the people concerned. I mean, do you know these people? I mean, it has happened a few times in the, in the history of our church. Rafemi will come to me. Do you know these people? <laughs> More often than not, I would say, okay, yeah, I know. In some instances, maybe I would just talk to those people just to be sure. That's how we do it. Because we know that the heart is more important. It's not about the money. The heart is more important. These people... They gave their hearts. He said, they gave themselves what? First to the Lord. That's what makes the giving 
powerful and beautiful is because they gave themselves what? First to the Lord. And that's why it is only in the new covenant that Jesus can tell us that if you are offering, if you are bringing in an offering, right, to the altar, and you remember that you have a quarrel with someone, there's a fight, you are living in bitterness, somebody has something against you, and you haven't said to it. He said, just put the gift aside. All right? You can give it next Sunday. You can give it on, Friday, uh, on Wednesday. Or you can give it online later. Go reconcile with that person. Because your heart taints your gift. And you don't want to give a God, our God a tainted gift. Did you get that? That's important. In the new covenant, the heart is more important than the gift. A pure heart gives a pure gift. An impure heart makes the gift impure. So it's very important for you to know that giving does not replace our heart. God is more interested in our heart. Giving must be a demonstration that we have given ourselves to the Lord first. Praise the name of Jesus. And number seven point that I found here is in verse 8. Can we read 2 Corinthians 8, 8 together? One, two, go. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of it. You see, kingdom giving is a test of the sincerity of our response to God. It's a test of our heart. Giving becomes a test of our heart. You see, you can find people who don't love God and give. All right? There are a lot of people who give for various reasons. But you cannot find people who love God and don't give. I think that flew over many people's heads. All right? You can find people who give and don't love God, right? So it's not necessarily, you can find a lot, of, a, lot of people, a lot of people give for different reasons. Give and text, Pastor, you're going to love what I, have, what I put in the offering today. There are people who do giving so that they can boast, all right? Uh, there are people who do that kind of things. That's not, but you cannot find people who truly love God and say, we don't give. Like a man say he loves a woman and doesn't want to pay for, for the dinner when they go out. Right now, some guys want to, want to share the bill when they take women for a date. That's what's going on now in the 21st century. People negotiate now. Who's going to pay the bill when we... Who's going to pay the bill when we... <laughs> Ladies, don't... You know, that's the end of that date. That guy is going to nickel and dime you all the way for 40 years, 50 years. <laughs> Hallelujah. Giving is a test of our hearts. And I love how he concluded it. Part of the conclusion is in verse 7. Verse 7, let's read verse 7 together and we'll conclude. Let's go one, two. 
But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace. As you excel in everything. As a believer, your goal is to excel in the grace of giving. To continue to excel. You are excelling. You are growing in your faith, right? You are growing in your speech. You know, you are becoming a better speaker, a better preacher, a better prayer warrior. You know, you are growing in knowledge. You are growing in your knowledge of God. You are growing in your love for God, your love for others. You must see that you also excel. You continue to grow. Your goal as a believer is to increase in your generosity. All right? Increase in your generosity. There must come to a time when, as a believer, when you categorize all your expenses, giving comes at number one. Both what you give to God, what you give to poor people, what you give to, you know, people. I mean, if you categorize all your giving together, that should be number one. That should be. If it's not number one, then you must grow into that. That should be your goal. I, I, I read, I, I once read a man that said, you know what, my goal is to make sure 90% of my income is given to God. Either to God, to causes, to poor people. Nine, I want to live on 10%. He made this his goal. And you know, many years later that became, God blessed him so much that his 10%, he could not even finish his 10%. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. So don't struggle with, oh, you know, am I, am I going to give tight? Am I going to? That's not the struggle of a New Testament believer. New Testament believer does not engage in that kind of want to excel. How can we do more? God, why not me? Why can't I do? Why not just bless me so that I do more? But a new Testament believer starts from where he is now, right? Start from where you are. Make up your mind that you are going to excel in the grace of giving. Let's bow down our heads. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that has been released. The Bible says, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, we can become rich. I thank you because prosperity is our portion. I want you to say, Jesus, I thank you. Because for my sake... Though you are rich, you became poor so that I can be rich. I receive a prosperity mindset. I reject scarcity mindset. I reject stingy mindset. I receive a generous mindset. After all Christ has done for me, why will I give so little? That is my portion. In Jesus' name, amen.